Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, July 8th, and we have got a great episode for you. Mary Dunleavy from WRAL in Raleigh joins the show. We talk about her time as a reporter, what it was like covering the ACC with UVA to start her career, jumping over to the SEC, and now uh, now she's in the heart of North Carolina with uh, based in Raleigh. So, fun interview, um, a lot of good insight. We've also going to re- talk recruiting a little bit. You know, there's been uh, a lot of things going on around the Hokies program with, with recruiting, and, you know, Tim feels strongly about about it. I feel pretty strongly about it. I think I think we're gonna have a good discussion. But uh, I think but so. first off, Tim, what's what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, Justin. I'm a little peeved. All right. Okay. Um, so we got pictures back uh, that we had paid a professional to do. I almost okay. stepped on a copperhead like a jackass uh, while we were out there. It was a struggle. So we get these pictures back, and I noticed I have a wrinkly shirt in these pictures, and I'm peeved. Man, it was really wrinkly. I know. And it's, it was really bad. I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, I, no. I, I don't know what to do, Justin. I'm just really frustrated. And um, from now on, uh, you best believe I'm going to starch all of my shirts. So is it one of those shirts where, like, the second you sit down, it wrinkles? Bingo. Because I cannot stand those things. It no. doesn't matter how much starch you put into that. You got it looking perfect. It's clean. You button Beautiful. it up. The second Crispy. you sit down, you stand up. It's like a, it's just like an accordion. I was going to say you look like an accordion yeah. as soon as you stand it's up. It's unbelievable. It's, I saw those pictures and I was like, wow, these are fantastic. Looking at my face, I'm like, man, that smile's great. You look really photogenic. And then I look down and like, oh, you're a slob. <laughs> yeah. You, you are a bum. <laughs> just so, came out of I'm the peeved. bar and threw on a yeah. shirt and took some pictures. Or clearly he's drunk with his child in the forest somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's disappointing. So... Yeah. You know, we are recording this uh, early in the week, the week prior. This is before July 4th. Um, you know, wanted to make sure you had a great show for July 4th week because that's going to be a tough tough weekend to come back from. So it we is. assumed you'd want to hear our very soothing voices. But, Tim, I wanted to talk about the fireworks situation that is the city of Chicago. Oh, great. Now, when... Now, are we talking outside of gunfire? Yeah, we're, t- we're talking okay. straight up fireworks. Okay, perfect. Okay. Just wanted now, to clarify. could be mistaken for gunfire in this time of year. After sure. Memorial Day, all hands on deck. Because yeah, absolutely. Because that's when the gunfire really starts to kind of mix in with any noise that you hear in the city. Absolutely. That's neither here or there. The fireworks situation, Tim. When I first started spending time in Chicago about four years ago, it was July 4th. And... <laughs> I thought the city was under attack. (laughs) (laughs) I'm driving down the interstate, and I see nothing but fireworks going off. Like, I honestly thought this must have been what Francis Scott Key saw when he was riding the Star-Spangled Banner. (laughs) Because... Oh, man. Fireworks in this city is like... I don't even know. It's like heat in Dallas. It's going to happen. Oh, man. So for the last week, I've heard nothing but fireworks being popped off at night. From basically starting around 8 p.m. to about 1 a.m., there's fireworks just being popped. I can't oh put word. it in any other way, but first off, they're illegal. 
which is another you know thing in and of itself. But right. when you're driving across the interstate through the city and you have firework ash coming down on your car, <laughs> it's like, like the streets of Pompeii. That's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And but yeah, it's it's something to behold. I, and is is Raleigh similar, or is it like more no, of a like backyard no. firework town, or like what so is it? Grow, growing up in the state uh, with the bulk of that happening in the Triangle, which is uh, you know Raleigh, Durham area, Chapel Hill. Um, I didn't know what real fireworks were until I took a trip to Florida to visit my uncle around the Fourth of July. Um, the what I thought fireworks were were fountains. You know what fountains are. You know oh, yeah. they they spray sparks about four feet high if you get a good one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought those were fireworks. Nothing wrong with that. So we go to Florida, and let me tell you about Florida. There are no laws in Florida. Florida has no laws. Well, yeah. Have you seen the news? Pretty yeah, much anything I mean, goes in Florida. Yeah. The Florida man meme was alive before the internet was around, and this was one I, I want to say maybe two thousand one, two thousand something like that. Um, my uncle, my uncle tells me that we're going to fire off some mortars. I, I know, when I think mortars, I think desert storm. So I thought we were really getting into the heavy artillery and I had no idea what this was. So he lights, you know, he puts in the two drops this massive shell. Uh, you know, it's like you're watching a world war two documentary, but it's in color and it's late at night. This shell goes flying way up in the air. And it's like the fireworks I'm used to seeing. Like if I went to the park you know, or the city of Raleigh was doing, except it was right above your head, um, loud as can be. And it literally felt like you were being enveloped in sparks, in ash, in the smell. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. I, ever since then, I can't get enough fireworks. You know, I mean, the, the fireworks used to bore me, but now that I know that illegal fireworks are an option, um, you know, I'm going to be riding dirty on the 4th of July for the rest of my life. I just, I always see the fireworks popping off, and, like, the only thing that I can think of is Jason Pierre-Paul with <laughs> you all oh full of fireworks. That's terrible. That's okay. terrible. And we all know what happened to him. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we've all seen what happened to him. Um, but, you know, that is something, too. I think after that, I've been a little cautious um, of fireworks because they can go really wrong if you're not careful. Um, like what? And my father too, when he was growing up, had a run in with a pretty severe fireworks accident. So it, it made me a little more timid, but I still, man, I love the mortars. I love seeing those big booms, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, speaking of fireworks, Tim, the Hokies recruiting has <laughs> been interesting of late. And so we had a little conversation on Twitter yeah. Here's my my stance. Okay, just to recap for those that haven't been paying attention or following as closely as we have or the Twitterverse. So Virginia Tech has lost two pretty high profile commitments or two B commitments in the last I don't know week or two. Yeah. So Antoine Powell was the first to go. You know, four star defensive end. You know, mm-hmm. a Virginia prospect goes to Florida. Jalen right. Hyatt four-star wide receiver who had committed decided to reopen his commitment after visiting the university of Tennessee, which basically means he's probably going to Tennessee. He's gone. Yeah. So that leaves us with the 2020 class. And right now it's ranked 90th in the country. 
number 14 in the ACC, which is last. And uh, a lot of running backs and one three-star quarterback. So the thing with the Hokies in 2020 is they only have 15 scholarships. Okay, because they've got a very young team currently. They had a very young team last year, so that's a good thing. So they can be a little bit more selective. The bad thing is some of their top targets are not committing and or uncommitting and and looking elsewhere. Now, I'm of the mindset that it's July. National Signing Day isn't until February. And these kids are so young these days, and it, it seems like there's a lot of pressure on the social media front to make a commitment when maybe they're not ready to do so. I mean, we've got kids committing in the eighth grade now. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I hate the early commitment thing because it just leaves all of this time for them to change their minds, which they are allowed to do. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be allowed to change their mind, but I just don't get too crazy about it. Like, yeah, you know, I'm disappointed to see guys kind of, leave and choose a different school sure but it's still july it's not like it's january and we're sitting here with the 90th class for the Hokies. tim i know you feel a little bit differently yeah so i feel differently because of a couple things one if other classes weren't filling up as well i would tend to agree with you but if you look around the acc and look nationally filling up with a non-binding agreement agreed clarification agreed but filling up nonetheless your chances of keeping those guys is much greater if you have more of them than less of them. Sure. Right now, Virginia Tech is going to take a smaller class. We know that. Yep. We hardly have any seniors on the team. That's fine. My issue is we're starting to see um, a lack of a recruiting ability with the current staff, and it's a problem that I don't think has been addressed by Justin Fuente. And I think the issue really does start with him. I don't think he's a very good recruiter. Um, and certainly his personality is, is that of a, a, a damp dishcloth, and that's fine. And he, he, that's fine. And, and if you understand what your weaknesses are, you can hire toward that. You don't need to have a dynamite personality to be a good football coach. Look at Dave Dorn at NC State. Similar personality to Justin Fuente, but he's got a team of recruiters that just knock the cover off the ball. Uh, guys that are you know with big personalities that have a proven track record of being recruiters at a high level right now we have a bunch of commitments on our team that have one offer from power five school with that being virginia tech and a bunch of group of five offers those aren't the kind of guys that you can consistently build success around and i'm worried because we've seen fuente hire a lot of people with the personalities of justin fuente and that worries me. We've seen Fuente hire a lot of people that are unproven recruiters. And that worries me because one of his weaknesses is going to be the fact um, that he has not got a dynamite personality. He's not a blow-the-cover-off-the-ball recruiter. Now, well, the way— Let me, the let way me I, in. Sure. I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that he's not a good recruiter. Is he a great recruiter? No. But he's done— pretty much what we've come to expect from Virginia Tech from a recruiting standpoint. Has he not? Well, no, but he's lost staff, right? So he's lost Torian Gray, who was the best recruiter we had um, with the bulk of those classes to a much bigger program. Florida. Um, So he's lost some guys that have really been important for him recruiting and replaced them with guys who haven't, don't have recruiting prowess. What I will say 
is that one, that should have been something that we headed off at the pass a couple of years ago. Because while our, our final recruiting rankings were good, we were losing out a lot of very important in-state prospects that went elsewhere. And that's going to be the most important thing to me in turning the tides around of our program. We're going to have to start pulling out Tyrod Taylors. Maybe not that high, but high four-star guys out of the state of Virginia, again, if we're going to be competitive at the level that we want to be competitive at. Let me just throw at you my alternative argument uh, for Justin Fuente and why I'm frustrated. And one, that's because of Mike Young. Mike Young, very similar personality-wise to Justin Fuente. Um, guys that aren't known for having the most uh, flamboyant personalities, not, not the greatest recruiters in the world, and guys that haven't recruited on a Power 5 level. Fuente came from Memphis, right? You can say whatever you want about what he did at TCU, but he wasn't known as a recruiter there either. So these are guys that don't have experience in the Power 5 level. What did Mike Young do? Mike Young went out and hired a recruiter at every single assistant coach position that he had opened. Sure. And it's done what? It's paid dividends. You, you immediately see that recruiting prowess in action at Virginia Tech, a school that is much harder to recruit towards basketball than it is football. So this is just my plea. I hope we're able to turn this around. I don't think we will be. I think we're going to be looking at a class in the mid-60s when it's all said and done, which for me is absolutely unacceptable for Virginia Tech. Um, and it's unacceptable at this point to be last in the ACC and there's no excusing it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Virginia Tech, the brand, the football brand at Virginia Tech is getting stale, and that worries me. And we're going to have to figure out how to turn this around. I'm not saying Fuente can't turn it around, but it's not going to be with the staff as it's currently constructed. So hopefully um, these holes are being noticed by Justin Fuente and Whip, Bad Whip Babcock, and they are working on patching said holes. Um, I don't know if you want anything else to add, but – that's why I'm irritated where we are. I'm not saying it's a death sentence. It's only going to be a death sentence if we repeat this next year. But I just hope that we're not going to wait until that that extreme dip happens because of the lack of recruiting, um, sort of in a Tom O'Brien NC State fashion, where Dave Doran inherited a team with no talent whatsoever um, because he missed a couple years in recruiting. I hope that doesn't happen, um, but we'll see. Past three recruiting classes have been strong. We know that. But you can't go from strong recruiting classes to some of the worst in the nation. Well, here's the deal. I agree if, you know, we uh, have a class in the mid-60s, then something's got to change. And it will. I, I have no doubt in my mind that something will be addressed. But, you know, this coaching staff, I'll, I will give the benefit of the doubt for now. You know, they have proven that they can recruit at least at a, you know, a decent level, a top five ACC level. Mm -hmm. But... I think what we do as fans of Virginia Tech is we set ourselves up for failure pretty consistently. Because if you look at Virginia Tech over the last 10 years, they've been mediocre at best. For sure. Mediocre to below sure. average. Winning will help with that. And we're obviously coming off a pretty poor year last mm -hmm. year. But, you know, I think the Hokies are probably going to win a decent amount of games. They have to win a decent amount of games this year. We, we can't have a season where we don't win a decent amount of games because the schedule says a decent team wins eight to nine games. A decent team. Sure. But I think, I think we need to start having realistic expectations. You know, Virginia Tech is not in the national championship conversation. Absolutely right not. They will not be in a year. They will not be two years from now, most likely. Okay, they're likely going to be in the near future in that conversation for the ACC Coastal, which could happen mm -hmm. this year. But you still have to go through Clemson. Okay? For sure. 
And Clemson shows no signs of, of slowing no, down. No, no, no. And I think the only hope we have is that, you know, we start paying college players and Dabo bolts to the NFL. Right. But even if he does, Clemson has still become a national brand. They're still going to have to be the, – the conference will still run yeah. through them. But if we as fans continue to have expectations that the Hokies are just all of a sudden going to start pulling in, you know, top 20, top 15 mm-hmm. classes – beating out programs that currently out-recruit us in their sleep, mm-hmm. okay? We just we struggle to generate enough revenue to even mm-hmm. keep up, to even stay in the conversation mm-hmm. of a top-tier program. Right. You know, I'm talking the SEC. I'm even talking the ACC, mm-hmm. okay? But we just continue to expect that we're going to compete mm-hmm. for national titles, get the best recruits. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be happy as fans. And that starts kind of today. Should we be satisfied just competing for ACC Mm -hmm. titles? No. No, we shouldn't. We should expect to compete for Mm -hmm. ACC titles. We should want more to get to that national championship level. But what I'm saying is, I think we forget what Fuente came into. Mm -hmm. Fuente came into a very rough situation that was a little bit worse maybe than I think we thought it was or remember. And he's done an okay job. Now, last year, the results on the field weren't what we wanted weren't what we expect but for now i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he will get virginia tech turned around the way he knows how we not we might not be targeting the most high profile recruits and i think that's okay that's kind of what virginia tech has done historically Mm -hmm. and they've made it work Mm -hmm. for them i'm more concerned about the guys we bring in the culture Mm -hmm. the attitudes right they fit what we're trying to do here they fit the system Mm -hmm we'll start to see the results on the field. I, I, I agree. But we have to have realistic expectations, and I just don't think we Well, we'll see, do. the way it works with the Hokie fan base right now is you have one side saying this is unacceptable. For me, I, I tend to shade towards more on that side. And the other side, which points to past recruiting classes, um, saying you need to understand what we are right now, and I agree to that extent too. I see both sides of the argument. However, to me, what people are missing here, saying Virginia Tech has never recruited with the big dogs, absolutely true but what virginia tech did consistently was always have a top 35 recruiting class almost annually um and that level of consistency is what you need to to win acc titles you don't need to blow the doors off recruiting to win acc titles but you can't have 90th ranked recruiting classes you can't have 60th ranked recruiting classes because that's how you get to become boston college and so that's my only worry is we have a bad class now and in college football a staff full of non-recruiters doesn't recruit so we lost a big-time recruiter in Torian Gray and did nothing about it. So we're starting to see now, last year, a lot of his influence was still felt in that class. This year, we are dealing with a scenario where some juniors, some sophomores have risen up, right? Because recruiting starts when these guys are in 8th and ninth grade. And we've gotten those guys that were 8th and ninth grade when they got here, and they don't like Virginia Tech. The brand is stale. And that rests on Fuente's shoulders. That's my argument. And with the brand being stale, we've got to figure out how to turn that around before the brand becomes unsalvageable. And it's, it's teetering right now. And you can feel it. But the, a lot of people look at recruiting on a year-to-year basis and don't realize it's, there are lagging indicators. Recruiting is a complete lagging indicator. So the work that this staff did when they got here is now being shown in these seniors. And what it's telling me is that our recruiting process has not been strong enough to get these kids when they were in eighth and ninth grade in the great Commonwealth of Virginia to want to commit to the Hokies. 
And you can say, hey, the Hokies have been getting beat out by these big schools for a long time, and that's true, but not to the extent that we're getting our ass handed to us right now. And it's important to understand that we will need to land some of these guys, just like we always did, right? We always had four-star guys out of the state of Virginia. We had them when we still had some momentum with Fuente. We got the new coach bump with Fuente, and we got a lot of them. But so far, we've got no momentum on the trail. And it doesn't look like it's going to change for the year after next or the year after that. That's what worries me. Now, if we, if we go in and pull in some, some big-time personalities, some big-time proven recruiters, I'll feel a lot better. That's what I mean about I hope Whit Babcock is taking notes here. I hope he's paying attention, and I think he is. But that's why I'm worried. And so I don't think it has to be – I'm not saying this with the expectation of, of Virginia Tech needs to be competing for an ACC crown every year. We're not there yet. But we're not going to be unless we, we are consistently in the top 30 to 35 recruiting. And we had done an okay job of that in the beginning of, of Fuente's era. But a lot of that is not sustainable momentum. Now the momentum that Fuente staff has actually built is going to start to rear its head. And that's what worries me is that we're seeing a 90th ranked recruiting class in July. So we'll agree to disagree here because I still think it's too, too yeah, early. And we'll find out to, to worry about. I could totally ranking. be wrong, but I'm just seeing some things reading into tea leaves that make me worry a little bit. And, and it's, it's half the Hokie yeah. fan base that feels this way too. It's not just a, a vocal minority. It's, People are starting to open their eyes, especially people that follow recruiting really closely, um, that maybe some alarm bells are going off. And this could be all about nothing. You're absolutely right. Recruiting changes on a dime. We could run into an issue where, look at Penn State. Penn State has had so many decommitments in a short time period that I don't know how James Franklin is going to keep that ship afloat. There's a situation where we could have another program in our region do that, and we inherit, so to speak, some big-time recruits down the road. And we know this class isn't pivotal. This is going to be a small class. But we're going to need to, to make this momentum swing and get in the ear of some of these young guys and make them realize, hey, the brand is strong. Sure. And you always want you always want difference makers in every class Agreed. that you have. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's one that we currently have committed, but there are a few guys that I think we that the Hokies have a pretty good mm-hmm. shot of, of, of landing. Right. So, you know, I think the secondary is, is an area of need sure. uh, that we have not recruited well right. under Fuente. We haven't. And, it, um, and honestly, you could look at that whole defensive side of the ball and start to worry a little bit. The thing that always stuck out with me with Virginia Tech football, and I know you'll echo this, is that defense had playmakers every year. At least one every year. I don't, I don't know where our playmakers are at. I don't know. Last year we didn't have any. We looked slow. I can't recall a Hokie defense ever looking slow. We looked slow last year. And I just hope that we're able to address that because honestly, offensively, I think we're putting together one of the best offenses in the ACC on paper. Yeah, we've done kind of a role reversal of of what we come to expect with Virginia Tech football. But I also say last year, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt because we had an extremely young football team on the field. You go from high school to, to college and you're playing at a power five level, there's going to be a learning curve and there's going to be development issues. And that, that was clear yeah. that we had those last year. Agreed. So now if we if we see those same issues in the first month of football, then, yeah, I'm going to start to have some concerns. But I think we're going to see a much improved product on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. 
I think that performance and our results on the field is going to help us on the recruiting trail. Now, do we need to get some guys in there that maybe have a little bit more experience recruiting top-level yeah. talent? Yes. Yes, that is definitely an area that we could stand to address immediately that we haven't. Sure. But it comes with time. Like I said, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm monitoring the situation. Right. We'll see what happens. I do have trust in Fuente that he will he will get it under wraps and, and we'll land some of these big big guys in Virginia. Sure. And, and one last point. Th- this was not a slam on Fuente. I truly don't believe that your head coach needs to be a recruiter. I really don't. I think the, the head coach can hire away his weaknesses. What the head coach needs to be able to do is see these problems before they co- become problems. And so that's where I'm hoping that Fuente's got his eye on things, and for all intents and purposes, he should. Um, but from a non-recruiting standpoint, I've been very happy with Fuente. I'm not on the uh, Fuente's not even on the hot seat as far as I'm concerned. Um, so my, my faith still rests with Fuente. It's just one of those things where you hope it's not an issue, but you can kind of see it coming a little bit. Yeah. And and winning heals a lot of things. It does. And I'm just glad in July this year we're not talking about a bunch of off the field issues Thank you. with Virginia Tech like we were last no year. No doubt. So I'm glad this is the biggest issue. Obviously, we'd like to see the the uh, recruiting improve, which you know it will definitely improve from where it's at. How much I think is the yeah, question. Yeah. So so glad we're not dealing with academic or personnel issues right now. Um, I'm over that. Yeah, for sure. So Tim, let's jump into our interview with sure. Mary Dunlevy. So once again, uh, sports reporter for WRAL in Raleigh. Spent some time in Little Rock, Arkansas, and also Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, She's a Hokie. I knew her from my days at Virginia Tech, so uh, glad to see her her doing well. So here you go. Okay, we welcome on our special guest, Mary Dunleavy of WRAL in Raleigh, North Carolina. Also a Virginia Tech grad, so we are... Super happy to have Mary on. Mary, thanks for uh, thanks for joining the show. How are you? You bet. Doing good. Doing good. Just in between shows right now. So happy to be on. Yeah, exactly. You know, just just squeezing in a little podcast action, yeah. so it's all good. Making it happen. <laughs> so, I know we're on a tight timeline here, but just wanted to kind of hit on your background a little bit. So, you've been at WRAL since August of seventeen. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so two. I guess I'm. I guess I just hit two years. Well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Boom. And that so awesome. before that, you were in Little Rock. And how long were you there? I was in Little Rock for three years. Okay. Three years in Little Rock. Far Great. from mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great little town. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, before that, WVIR in Charlottesville. So, you know, that kind of leads leads me to my first question. Uh, just like to get a little background. So outside of, you know, Ken Garland's video production classes at Virginia <laughs> Tech, what uh <laughs> I haven't what? heard that name in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Ken was Ken was a good guy. Ken he was, was a good a guy. Good, he he liked me and then I, I don't know, I was kind of bad in that class, but he liked me, I think. Deep yeah, deep he, down. He liked me too, because I yeah. was kind of a jack of all trades back yeah, then. Yeah, you did it all. Um <laughs> But you know, outside of Ken, what uh, what made you want to become a sports anchor and reporter? I think you know, early in my career at Tech, I actually went there to play lacrosse, and then I realized that wasn't my thing. But I still wanted to be 
I've always loved sports. I've always wanted to cover sports. Um, when I quit lacrosse, though, I was like, what am I going to do next? And it was like, how can I still do sports? And it's like, oh, I can report on them and cover them. And I kind of built my resume in college to do that. I interned at um, a place called WRC, NBC4 up in D.C. And I shadowed Dan Helley, who's at NFL Network now, and Lindsey Zarniak, and kind of got my feet wet between, I guess that was my sophomore and junior year of college. And that's when I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I want to work in D.C. and I want to get here. And then I realized, oh, wow, you got to go to a really small market. And not only that, back then, it was hard to work in a small market, especially in sports. So I started as a general assignment reporter. I think you helped me, Justin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember you, you reached out to me. I was a uh, producer at WVIR, and you uh, you hit me up one day. Yeah. And eventually, I think about, so I moved up to, long story short, moved up to New York City because that's how you get a job on TV. And I worked yeah, for sure. scenes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Got to start as a PA somewhere. Yeah. No one wanted to hire me off of my reel. Yeah, me so, neither. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I went up to New York City. I was actually, I worked on a reality show called New York Inc. Then I eventually worked at... Bloomberg, the Global Business Network, I was like sliding breaks and miking up all the talent. And then I got a call from David Fokey at WVIR, NBC29 in Charlottesville, worked there as a general assignment reporter. He was like, yeah, this is pretty much a sports reel, but I'll hire you as this. And then it just happened to be that a job opened up um, for the weekend sports anchor. And the morning anchor was her, was his husband, or what was, oh my God. She was his wife and mm -hmm. told me, and so I told Foki, he said, make a reel. So I made another reel, and that's how I got into sports. So it wasn't actually from doing, from my reel, I started in news, and then I switched over to sports. I got very, very lucky because there's few sports jobs. And then from that, I went to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was a sports director there for three years, and then now I'm here in Raleigh. Yeah, so... I mean, lucky for you, too, like the size of the market in Charlottesville is very small. You right. know, it's number 183, or at least it was when I was there about eight or nine years ago, however long it's been. But you do have UVA football right there. Yeah. So it's, you know, a big ACC school. Yeah. But what was what was that like for for you to cover UVA having been a tech grad? And, you know, my uh. my big question is, like, did did you get any uh any feedback from fans that thought you were biased in any way? <laughs> no, see, I was lucky in that I might have gone to Tech, but my little sister played on the lacrosse team at UVA at the time. So that's how I kind of would get out of any Tech flack. I'm like, well, like, I still have family that goes to UVA, so you can't yeah. hate me too much. But, I mean, it was kind of hard. It was kind of weird covering football. Like, then UVA was, they were really struggling. Um, it was when Coach London was there. Um, Great guy. Miss him. Yeah, yeah, we all miss him dearly. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were really struggling. So, I mean, as far as, like, covering football and that being hard or weird for me, it wasn't because tech was still, like, so much better. But now I can't even imagine what it would have been like because UVA is, like, on the up and up. And Yeah, UVA is on, on the up and up. So I was, I was sitting in the newsroom on a weekend when JMU – did the unthinkable 
Oh, and was- I had the pleasure of answering every single phone call that came into the newsroom because people thought maybe we hadn't seen it and wanted to make sure that it was going to be the top story on the news. So I wanted to like throw the phone against the wall. Yeah. That's miserable. But uh, any, any cringe worthy moments for you with, uh, with UVA while you were there? Cringe worthy. Just like, Oh, I wish I didn't have to cover this. Oh, covering. Oh, Oh, um, Man, I gotta dig deep right now. Cringeworthy while covering UVA sports. I mean, if not, it's okay. You know, they weren't particularly great at basketball either at the time. So it was actually a pretty good time for you to be there. Yeah, it was kind of a time where I didn't have any, like, the rivals weren't bad. So I don't know. As far as cringeworthy, more me on TV was probably cringeworthy because I wasn't that good yet. But I'm I'm sure you were fine with with Marty. (laughs) Marty Hutloff and Mike Shires and Jesse Bockerman. I'm sure you were, you know, you fit in pretty well there. So, um, so jumping to your time in Little Rock, you know, what was that like going from small little ACC? Not that Little Rock's a huge market, but you do have Arkansas that you're covering and SEC fans are kind of a different, different. Oh my God. Oh, to say the least. what was that experience like? It's just a totally different beast because you don't have pro sports either. So it's like they live, eat, and breathe Arkansas sports. And of course, you have like your Little Rock and your, you know, and I was there when Chris Beard was, was there for the uh, trip during March Madness with Little mm-hmm. Rock um, right. with basketball. So that was cool. But as far as everything else, it's like, gung-ho Arkansas everything and SEC football is a beast like no other and I mean I would wake up I just remember football season waking up and we'd we'd drive up there the day of the game and stay there all day and we'd we'd get there at like 6 a.m they always had noon kicks because they weren't good so um I'd be there all day long and um I, I one of my biggest memories of those live we would do a live 30 minute show after the game would end and you're in sec country and they all hate each other. Like no matter what, I I don't think there's any friendly rivalry. Yeah. DC. So it would always be like, we'd always have one extra person just making sure no one was jumping into our live shots. And of course no one really likes the Razorbacks. So yeah, we're all wearing red. Plus Um, you were there with Brett Bielema and that was an era of football that I'm sure most Arkansas fans would like to forget. Yeah. Go Brett. Those eras recently um so i think it's just it was almost like it was always the same storyline heading into the season like this is the year this is the year or bielema was fired this is the year bielema was fired and then he was fired on my way out so um that was another thing there's just i feel like there's just so much more pressure with sec football too there's just a higher expectation in some ways um oh yeah for sure. well, yeah, it's a higher expectation and a lot of times an unrealistic expectations for oh, a lot of yeah. those programs not named Alabama or LSU. So um, yeah. it's tough, especially when you're talking about Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's tough, um, too, in that in Arkansas, if you don't stay in Arkansas, you're like these poor. Um, that's what I hated during recruiting. If, um, say, a basketball player didn't commit to Arkansas I'm trying to think of one of them that didn't while I was there. Um, it's just, it's just like they just get wrecked on Twitter, and it's just so ridiculous because mm-hmm. we grew up 
in Virginia where you could kind of go to school anywhere. And I mean, obviously you want to play football at tech, but if you don't play football at Arkansas, or if you don't play basketball at Arkansas, oh my God, you're going to hear about it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the only thing. I didn't really like the recruiting aspect. Sure. I felt bad for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how great was it to cover the Belk Bowl? Um, <laughs> it was awesome because I saw Durley Aguilar. Remember her? Oh, yeah. 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 Another name I haven't heard in a while. Okay. Yeah. So I saw her there. It was like I saw all these people, and I actually had a friend who I ran into who sent me a picture of that day, and it must have been freezing cold. I, I, I just looked miserable. Did you guys go? No. No, I was watching from the warmth of my living room. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I love – I mean, that was kind of crazy. It's one of my – I think it's, like, on my bio as, like, one of my favorite memories. Um, cause it was like all of my worlds colliding, like my new little Arkansas world and my old Virginia tech world. And then I like ran into my old teacher and it was just bliss. It was just great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, now you're in ACC country again yep. and, and you're in kind of a unique market where you're basically covering like three pretty high profile programs, right. um, at least from a basketball standpoint, from football, Easy. Not as high profile. Uh, I'm like oh, I'm saying all three, Tim. Chill out. <laughs> chill out. Yeah. So what is what is that like uh, from a football standpoint? And um, you know what what do you just what what's it like covering NC State first off? And and what are kind of your expectations for for this season? Um, do you want me to start with just talking about NC State? Sure. Um, NC State has probably our biggest, most vocal fan base. And they are intense. They love their wolf pack. And it's kind of like the most Raleigh of the two schools, I'd say. Um, no question. Yeah, I'd say. And also, it's like obvious on the internet, too. I know our website gets the most hits from NC State stories. Um, so their fan base is very, very intense. And... Um, Let's just put it this way. If we don't share equal time for each school, I think this is one of the most challenging markets I've worked in, in that each school like has such a demanding fan base. And if you don't cover them equally, you're going to hear about it. Like if you have a football story at six and you don't have a another one on, like if you have an NC State football story at six and you don't have something on UNC or Duke, you're going to hear about it. Um, right. So it's almost like politics. Yeah. Yeah. A lot you better like have it. equal representation. Equal yeah. representation, and in a lot of cases too. No matter what happens, the media is going to lose here because yeah. each side is going to accuse every reporter or every media personality of being biased to the team that they don't support. Um, and it can get a little poisonous at times. But growing up here, you kind of got used to that. Right. Um, and and yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. But it is kind of the media is kind of put in an unfair place around here. Oh yeah, but. At the same time, this has been a market where I've worked, and it's like you're never hurting for content. Sure. It's almost like you have so much content, it's like, how do you fit it all in? Right, um, right. And this is probably the only time of year that we're, like, trying to find stories. Like, if they most of the times, and that's, like, the beauty of it. Like, in Arkansas, I'd wake up, and at 10 a.m., I'd be, like, searching on my phone for something to turn a story on, because that's just, there wasn't as much going on. And here, it's like... How do I fit all this in and make everybody happy? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good problem to have, right? Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So want to be respectful of your time. So we'll wrap it up with 
a quick little rapid fire. So basically, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. First thing that comes to mind. First one's an easy one. Maybe not. First reaction to hearing the name Chowder and Grits for the podcast. What were your thoughts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take okay. it. Okay, Look, I like it. it. Both are good things. Uh, best grits you've had in North Carolina? Ooh. I'm trying to think of that breakfast place I went to. Like, I don't remember names. Hold on. Big Ed's? No. No. It's something with chicken. Something with fried chicken. What is it? It's downtown. I'm going to open Google. Fried chicken downtown. You can't go wrong with grits and fried chicken. I don't know what it's called. Beasley's Chicken and Honey. Mm. Beasley's Chicken and Honey. Check it out here in Raleigh. I have. Incredible. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. It's good. I think they have fried grits. Like mm-hmm. sticks or something. Yeah, okay. like little yeah, little sticks. I think. <laughs> um, most memorable game as a student. Ooh. Could it be any game? Any game. Probably like one of the few games I played in during my my short lacrosse career. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. That's that's more than Tim or I can say. We don't we don't have an athletic career to fall back on. <laughs> no, not outside of wiffle ball in in college. Uh, who will win the ACC Coastal? Ugh. Good question. Good question. Without pissing anyone off. No, go ahead, of piss course. everybody off. Yeah, do what you need to do. We don't need listeners. Should I be bold? Be yes. Bold. Would you guys, I don't know, would you guys get mad at me? No, no, I, I know where you're going with this. You can go ahead. I mean, we might lose our connection if you say what I think you're going to say. <laughs> I think you know I know what, what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Virginia Tech because I, oh. I, I'm just going to say it. Okay, okay. good, good. We're on the same page then. Yeah, yeah. good. Perfect answer. I'm trying to please the crowd. Yeah. Uh, NC State will have how many wins this year? Ooh. Nice. Good question. You know what? I hope they have. Mm. Ten. Oh, ten that's wins. a big number. I'll take yes, it. Yes, I did. So they're threatening for the Atlantic. Yeah, Dave Dorn would love their that. Their young guys are going to their Their recruiting class this year is so good. Preach. Preaching to the choir right here. <laughs> They've had yes. a great recruiting class like three years in a row. Too. They're good guys. Awesome. That's awesome stuff. You need you need a hot scoop, best interview, Mac Brown, Dave Doran, or David Cutcliffe. Oh, that's easy. We know the answer to this. Okay, like everyone would say Mac Brown because that's yeah. expected, right? Right. But I like I I'm a Dave Doran. I think he gives a good interview if you ask him the right things. I know no one agrees to me, but there you go. I'll say hey, I didn't see that coming. I thought that was Mac on the layup there. No, I I don't. I also you got to remember we don't know him as well yet. Sure. Yeah. I'm newer. Been like, gone a while. Yeah. I feel like interviewing Mac Brown would be more like interviewing a politician. It really is. Yes. Yeah. I feel like it would be like lunch with grandpa. I feel I feel like I'd be looking at him and not sure like anything he's saying is true. <laughs> That's also very true. Yeah. 
Yeah, like you feel like he's trying to sell you a 92 Trans Am for half the conversation. Okay, last last question. Person you'd most like to interview? Mm. Athlete. Actor. Uh, man, these are hard questions. I want to interview everybody. That's an acceptable answer. Okay. Okay, right. you, you want to hear everybody's story. You're a reporter for the people. I love, like, Olympians. Like, I, I love doing those types of stories. I'm trying to think okay. of, like, the coolest Olympian I can think of. Michael Phelps. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say Michael Phelps, but I feel like but everyone's that's a good done one. that. Um, I suck at this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more of a stoking the fire, not so rapid. Ooh. Marion cool. Jones. Marian I would love Jones. to do Marion Jones. Good one. She has such a crazy, crazy story. Yeah, very crazy story. Kind of a blast from the past. Yeah. Interesting. Apart, uh, tried to come life back afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, Mary, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. If uh, if you're in the Raleigh area, check out WRAL. Mary Dunleavy, sports reporter, and or if you're not, why don't you head over to her Facebook page. Like it, follow her, check Absolutely. out some of her content on there. She's always posting a bunch of videos. So, Mary, thanks again for joining the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you later. And, Mary, yeah, bef- before we go, I it have one more, one more question. Oh. How awesome is it that Dundon and the Canes are going to match Sebastian Ajo's offer sheet? I just think it's I, – I really didn't think, like, they would pay. Like, I haven't – heard of that number with the canes in a long time like that big of right. a number. i was like wow right all right yeah. dundon was was talking a lot of smack along with waddell so i am i loved uh, it extremely he's, happy he's, to see that kind of bravado yeah he's he's a confident rich man <laughs> amen well look <laughs> I, I appreciate your take on it i know you you do uh work with wrl and, and write about the canes quite a bit so um i wanted to get your opinion on that oh yeah Absolutely. I hope they're just as good next year. That was, that was awesome. Yep. Hopefully we'll have another playoff run. We appreciate you coming. And uh, anytime you want to come back, just let us know. Oh, you bet. You guys have a good one. Okay. So that was our interview with Mary Dunleavy, once again from WRAL. Tim, what did you think? I thought it was good. I'm glad I was able to throw a shout out to the Carolina Hurricanes ownership there at the end. They've really made me happy. Um, But one thing I thought was really important that unless you've lived here is really hard to grasp is the media is always the bad guy in Raleigh, North Carolina when it comes to sports, because if you're a UNC fan, they don't write enough about UNC or they're too critical of UNC. If you're a Duke fan, they don't write enough about Duke football. They write about UNC and NC State too much. And if you're an NC State fan, they all hate NC State as far as you're concerned. So I thought it was kind of cool for her to mention that because that's always something I've noticed living here. Yeah, for sure. I thought the, uh, the aspect of jumping to the SEC was interesting, especially the uh, no professional sports in, in the market, which is a lot of the times the case in SEC country and really yeah. in a lot of college towns, but really in SEC country, it feels like. So um, yeah, it was great to have her on. Uh, we'll see if we can uh, snag her again later in the season. But um, yeah, but yeah. So Tim, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things we're seeing on the internet. Oh gosh. So worst thing, best thing. What do you got 
from the worst standpoint. <laughs> so from the worst is a layup for me. If you follow me on Facebook, you kind of know where I'm going to go with this. Um, but when we think about summer, right, you talk about summer's about smells, right? You know, you can smell when I tell you summer rain or there's a summer thunderstorm, you can smell that, right? I don't need to tell you what that smells like. That's got images. It's got memories associated with it. It's just like the pool in the summertime. You know, you can smell that chlorine smell that says, hey, I'm going to go swim around in the pool with a little bit with my buddies. Maybe we'll order some Papa John's pizza. It's going to be a great day, right? So it's not. So that strong chlorine smell that you smell when you go to a pool is actually a byproduct of the chlorine eating away at urine and feces. So the stronger the smell, the more poop water you're swimming in. That's atrocious. You're welcome. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and that's that's those are facts. I'm not making that up. That's not fake news. Okay. Fair enough. I wouldn't know if you're telling the truth or not. So, <laughs> uh, sounds sounds like it's probably the case. But you know, mine personally, Paul Feinbaum. Oh God. If, Ugh. First off, I hate giving this guy attention because that's what he yearns for. And anybody who doesn't know Paul Feinbaum, he is a troll. ESPN commentator troll uh, has his own radio show, whatever. But basically, I'm not sure anybody outside the state of Alabama actually listens to Paul Feinbaum. No. And the only reason I'm bringing him up is because he just cannot stop hating on the ACC right now. And no. you know why he's hating on the ACC, Tim? Because he's insecure about his own conference. Because the ACC's best team absolutely destroyed. Wrecked him. The SEC's best team in his beloved Alabama Crimson Tide. He can't handle it. So here's the deal, Tim. Auburn isn't very good. No. Ole, Ole Miss is probably breaking rules on probation again. Of course they are. Florida hasn't been relevant since the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Oh. So you've got a bunch of programs in the SEC that, that have a variety of issues. You're top heavy. You've got two elite programs in Alabama and Georgia. Of course, Georgia can't really win a big game, so I'm not sure I could classify them as elite. But other than that, you've just got a bunch of tiers in the SEC. So and, you've, but got the a, problem you've got is, a nice little middle section there right, with like the, Texas A&M and LSU and Mississippi State, Kentucky maybe. But are you really that interesting? No. And the problem is, the problem is why the SEC is so insufferable, that middle section all thinks they're elite. Oh, yeah. So if you talk to oh, a Texas A&M, A&M fan, we're going to win the national championship every single year. You talk they, to an LSU they fan. They are the greatest six loss team in college ever. football history. I'll throw you another one, Justin, because I know you pay attention to fan bases. Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. Every Our year. beloved Tennessee. Go Vols, baby. <laughs> I mean, they, they every year they're going to be the best five and seven program on the freaking planet. <laughs> No one is going to do mediocrity better than us. Nobody's going to pack orange. their 100,000-person stadium right. better than Tennessee. No. And they're going to watch a very subpar product on the field. Every year. Every year. However, so if you talk to them in the offseason, they are better than 98% of the programs in college football. So, you know, we get it, Paul. You love the SEC. You want everyone to look at the SEC. We see you, buddy. Okay? We can't get away from you. All the time. We're flipping the channels. SEC Network. Tim Tebow talking. Nick Saban's on College Game Day. 
we are done with the SEC. And the fact that the ACC flat out embarrassed your best team last year. Mm-hmm. That's the reason he's acting out. So I just want this on the record, Tim. Hope you agree. We're now an anti-Feinbaum podcast. Starting oh my today. God, yes. Done. That's on the record. I don't want to hear about him. I don't want to talk about him. All I want to do is look at him and laugh every time <laughs> an ACC school beats one of his beloved SEC brethren. Is it bad that I actively root for any team to beat an SEC team in a high-profile matchup just to put Paul in his place? I'm going to root for Duke like no other. Oh, yeah. In that season opener. I mean. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? I'm thinking about getting a Duke tattoo before the opener. I know it's not going to happen. But. No. I just can't wait to see that Feinbaum soundbite of how terrible the ACC is and what an embarrassment Duke is of a football program. And they shouldn't even be on the same field as Alabama. Right. Best thing you saw on the internet, Tim. Best thing I saw on the internet? So KFC and Mountain Dew were teaming up to create a new peach and honey-flavored Mountain Dew drink, right? I know everybody's getting up out of their seats with anticipation on what kind of amazing hybrid flavor sensation that Mountain Dew is about to come up with. And me too, I'm right there with you, internet. We're all in this together. Um, as Justin knows, uh, Mountain Dew spinoffs are, are kind of one of my things, my favorite things in life. So I'm looking forward to trying this peach and honey-flavored Mountain Dew. Okay, so I saw two things that I really just kind of rocked my world today. First one, Dental Assistance Worldwide Professionals. It's a Facebook group page, something. They posted photos of how celebrities would look without teeth. (laughs) It was hilarious. We needed that. So that's really all I had to say about that one. The other (laughs) one, (laughs) Miles Garrett, Brown's defensive end, doing box jumps. With 50-pound dumbbells in each hand. Get out of here. And it wasn't like a little box, Tim. Oh, my god! It was like neck high. It was pretty incredible. So, Miles Garrett, former number one overall pick. <clears throat> to go to SEC school. Uh, plays for the Browns. Uh, but, yeah, physical specimen, that was pretty unbelievable. So, I'm sure you've probably seen that by now since this is running about a week week later. But, uh mm-hmm. Yeah, go check that out. That's pretty pretty great. So, one last little segment we wanted to do for you. You know, it's summertime. You got that road trip going on. You know, what are some of the top items? It could be snacks. It could be anything that you take with you on a road trip. So, your top three, Tim. My top three. Well, if I'm going on a road trip, if this would have been prior to 2005, I would, if I, ever, I would have a recently burned CD oh. with 18 of my favorite tracks on it. Absolutely. So Backstreet Boys, what I'm, NSYNC, oh, Spice yeah. Girls. So, but, yeah, well, whatever you want. You know, especially that time, eh, I guess it would have been mostly rap than anything for yeah, me. Yeah, no, I was kidding. Yeah, I know. Of course you were. But honest to God, now if the instinct starts playing on the, you know, on the old shuffle on the iPod, I'm not turning it off. No, I'm obviously. man enough to admit that. Oh, um, I'm, I'm blasting that. In the car. Yeah. So what I'm going to tell you right now is if you don't have my number one item, assuming there's no Bluetooth connectivity, is an aux cord to hook up your iPhone through okay. your sound system. What, what else do you got? 
I'm going to go with Takis. Takis are my favorite road trip snack. That's they what triggered the- this segment. I saw I saw your post. Oh, what? That would really? be a great segment one day. Yeah. Well, Takis. There you go. That's an absolute no-brainer for me. And, uh, you know, the third thing is going to be any beverage with caffeine in it. Um, so for me, it's going to be a sugar-free energy drink every time, right? And you're going to talk about what flavors. Well, right now I'm really into bang energy drinks, which if you haven't tried a bang energy drink, be careful. It's like liquid methamphetamine. Okay. However, so it's, it's the f- for like that late night, you still got like four hours to go. Yes. Okay. Except if you're drinking it late night, it's going to be an early morning if you catch my drift. <laughs> um, okay. It's yeah. got something called not just creatine. I don't want to scare people wrong. It's got super creatine in it. Okay. So if you like the uh, brain-bending buzz that regular creatine gives you, just wait until you try super creatine with a registered trademark because you know Bang makes that in-house. So if you want to know, though, my favorite flavor is going to be Rainbow Unicorn. Get the Rainbow Unicorn Bang energy drink. You'll thank me later. But any energy drink will suffice. That is my number three pick. Rainbow Unicorn sounds like a great minor league baseball team name. (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah, Perfect. I mean, that's my number one, Tim, is uh, energy drink. Specifically, Absolutely. it's got to be a monster because that's that's what I roll with. That's so my go-to. all of you well, monster this... reps that are listening to this, if you could you know, maybe sponsor the show, send us some free monster, I would be all for that. Absolute energy, zero calories. The one okay. with the, the white monster logo with kind of like the blue shade background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so I was going to get into that. What's your favorite color? You say the white with the blue. No, um, so it's it's a black can. Yep, with the blue the monster white logo. logo yep. White monster logo with like a bluish purplish mm-hmm. shade. They don't yep. have it everywhere. It's, it's very cyclical. I don't know what it is. So I don't understand what's going on there because monster appears to have a multitude of similar looking low sugar energy drinks. They have another, so they have an absolute zero, right? Yeah. But then they also have a low carb. Yeah, However, they have a low you, carb, and then they have an absolute energy. Right, which are all kind of the same looking, and right. it always throws me off. And they're all very similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, beef jerky, number two. Oh, man. Great call. I mean, you got to get that bag of beef jerky. When I was traveling this great, this great country of ours in a previous role, I got a lot of monster and beef jerky whenever I And so talk. I'm just going to head this off at the pass because it sounds like we are going to raise the likelihood that one of our listeners has a stroke by about 110% Well, because of the sodium and caffeine intake we're talking about him. here. I hope that's not me because this is like an everyday item. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful. Hey, we are not liable for any injuries related to high sodium and caffeine intake based on the results of you listening to this podcast. Disclaimer. You got me worried now. Okay, so number three. <laughs> This is an obvious one. I can't believe you didn't have this. Taquitos. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Justin, if there were 7-Elevens down here, that would be on my list. It's just been so long. No. They stop at the Virginia-North Carolina border. I don't know why. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. Um, Yeah, so those are my three. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I haven't had number three in a long time, but it's one of those items where I always just, I'm like, I can't do that to myself right now. <laughs> I, should, I, should, I should save those calories for something else right. later on. Right. Uh, and of as, course, as, honorable mention, Chowder and Grits yeah. podcast. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's the number one necessary item for your next road trip. 
Um, and you know what the best part about Chowder and Grits is when you take it on a road trip? We have a library of 30-plus podcasts for you to listen to. Yeah, so this is episode 30. Yeah. Welcome. Shout out to us. Shout Happy out anniversary. Us. Yeah, so that is our show for today. So, uh, you know, as you are getting back to work or doing whatever you're doing after the long holiday weekend, glad you took the time to listen with us. Special thanks once again to Mary Dunleavy. Go Appreciate check her out on Facebook, and uh, if you're in the Raleigh area, WRAL is where to find her. And, uh, of course, we're Chowder and Grits. We are the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can find us anywhere, really, that you're listening to podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. And, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us reviews. Give us feedback. Five-star reviews are preferable. Share our content on social media, uh, specifically Facebook, uh, Twitter, those kind of things. Share those posts so that other people can see us and and heighten our visibility to those that don't currently listen to the podcast. Again, I just want to stress we are seeing the uptick in listeners, and we really, really appreciate that. Um, So we know you guys are doing this, but just keep continuing that. We really appreciate any help we can get in that regard. Um, we really look forward to bringing you guys another episode, another few episodes next week in addition to this um, and continuing our consistent output. So again, thank you for all the help. All that you do is duly noted and we appreciate it very much. And if you're still listening, just a little preview to next, the next episode that you will be hearing, a hokey legend. Legend. Will be joining us. That is one you're not going to want to miss. Spread the word. Click, listen, subscribe. We're Chowder and Grits. Catch you guys later.